This is a podcast about the manosphere, so it may contain references to extremist misogyny and violence, and it will definitely contain lots of swears. Hey, Dan, shall we ask each other some questions? Uh, yeah, sure. Why the fuck not? <laughs> Woohoo! Hello and welcome to Manosphere Debunked, where today, actually, we're taking a slightly different uh, angle to the podcast episode, where Aileen and I are going to do a bit of a, an interview with each other. Um, and we're both here. <laughs> we are both here, yes. We're both uh, healthy. So it's nice to actually be uh, back chatting to you and mm-hmm. doing this in the normal format. Oh, right. Because you didn't like fall in love with Jennifer or anything whilst I was away. <laughs> It was a purely platonic relationship, okay? okay. Right. I mean, also, so is ours, so it's fine. <laughs> I just meant friendship love, I don't, you know. Yeah, uh, friendship love. Okay, yeah, of course, of course. Let's not add some kind of weird will they, won't they, okay, song yeah, to the podcast. Yeah. Um, Although we it might improve, so. I mean, it might improve um, podcast downloads. Okay, we'll have to both t- separately talk to our partners about that then, just so they don't <laughs> like, get the wrong it's, impression. It's just for marketing purposes, yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, it's it's nice to be together. And yeah, we just thought we would um, have a bit more of an informal episode this week because it is when you listen to this uh, very almost Christmas. So that's exciting. And you probably don't want to like have an episode about all all the serious shit that we talk about. Yeah, like, I, bet, I mean, I bet we'll talk know. about serious shit. So. Yeah, probably. Because <laughs> usually we do that for like 45 minutes before we start yeah. the podcast. But I guess at least the aim isn't to bring the mood down. That might happen. But it's not going to be the purpose. And that is usually the aim of this podcast is to bring the mood down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we're going to do a little thing where I ask Dan some questions for a little while about him. Things that I think you guys might want to know and also things that I am interested in. And then Dan's going to ask me some questions. Yeah. So I'm going to start with an obvious question because it's an audible difference that we have is um, Mm -hmm. you're from South Africa, isn't it? I am. Yes, I am indeed from South Africa. And when did you move to the UK? Oh, 2008. So what's that? 14 years ago, 14, 15 years ago. So was that after university? Uh, yeah. So I did uh, I did my undergrad and then studied a little bit more and then did, uh, I think I've farted around for a, a year or so um, and then decided to take a gap year because all my friends had had gap years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that Do you know what your went... accent makes Gapia sound posh just by being a white South African, so that's good. <laughs> so I don't have to actually add the the poshness yeah. onto it when I say yeah. it. So yeah, so when I started university, um, a few of my friends had gone and done the Gapia thing, and I had never quite done it. I'd just gone straight from school into university, and I thought actually it'd be quite nice to go somewhere different for a little uh-huh. while. And I thought that seeing as I I could come to the UK, I would. And I thought that I would double up and learn about how to be a psychologist because I thought um, I would just literally walk into the NHS and I would find a job. I thought I would just work my way up the ranks, do what needs to be done because it's all the same sort of corporation (laughs) and there's, you know, it's a simple fluid upward mobility kind of thing. And you've been playing life on the easiest setting. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you were just like, I can just walk in. This is such a like the confidence of a middle class white man 
is this is great yeah i will admit there was a lot of naivety around the how the nhs works and what it is and the various different sort of structures and fundings etc and all that kind of stuff which i mm-hmm. am far more aware of now you'd hope so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so i had i guess i had these grand ambitions of um coming in and sort of getting a degree in psychology and initially my plan had been to go back to south africa and kind of use what i'd learned and apply it there however you know life being what it is it took me a lot longer to kind of get onto the psychology path uh, than i had intended so did you do what did you do at uni in like for your undergrad so i did uh, i did psychology and media and writing so, oh that's cool that's cool so then yeah so you so you kind of knew by the end of your degree that that's what you wanted to do oh then... i've i've known that i wanted to be a psychologist and or at least working within the field of forensics since i was about 13 years old um did I've was it csi been... miami no it was <laughs> god it was um james patterson novels Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. That's cool. There was, or is still, still to this day, many, many years later, the character of Alex Cross, who's a forensic psychologist turned right. policeman. Okay. Um, and I think that was kind of like my first introduction to what the idea of a forensic psychologist was. Uh-huh. And so I became interested in it and sort of, you know, I've always been fascinated with human beings generally, but then kind of I don't quite know how I developed the morbid fascination that I have with the more sort of um, antisocial darker side of human behavior, but uh-huh. it is what it is. And we're here today. <laughs> Making a living of it. So you exactly. Know. Yeah. So, right. you know, it works out in the end. Right. So you knew that already. And, and then, so you just, so you kind of ended up staying in the UK. So, yeah. So, so it, it took a while to kind of get on the, the psychology pathway and then I met my partner and then had kids. And now I'm pretty much, you know, bound to the UK with no chance of ever leaving. Yeah. So you're trapped now by wife and kids, basically. Yeah. Poor modern beta male. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Trapped by the confines of being a steadfast parent and actually trying to, you know, stay in my children's and partner's lives and do what needs to be done. Oh, what a loser. God, <laughs> Isn't it sad that there are these men who believe that your life is somehow subjugated? Yeah, it's weird. So it is so strange to think that there are men out there who believe that because I love my partner and want to be there for my kids and am willing to you know, bear the burden of the household in various different ways. Mm. It's so bonkers to think that there are some men that are like, yeah, you're such a submissive beta cook. My God, you've just lost, you have no masculinity and you're such a simp. Yeah. Do you think, um, so obviously you're a forensic psychologist. um, Mm -hmm. Forensic and clinical clinical psychologist. Mm -hmm. Do you think you're like the fact that you are a forensic psychologist and forensic and clinical psychologist, (laughs) does that, affect your approach to when you're talking about or thinking about the manosphere and thinking about like online misogyny and and gender roles in general um so yeah so i think it's i think it's twofold really so one in my head i'm always conscious that i'm you know a a professional that represents my my body and my discipline and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff so there's a part of me that has to kind of for one present a sort of more balanced view of things yeah guys you should hear all the wild shit that dan says off mic it's mad (laughs) oh my god so controversial so controversial but at the same time and the reason why i can do that and i can sort of hold that 
different perspective is because sort of, yeah, of my training. And, you know, so if we're thinking about offending behavior, if we hold the mm -hmm. parallels of sort of misogynistic and really horrible behavior perpetuated by the men of the manosphere, and we think about offending behavior, there's strong parallels between the two of them, isn't there? And I think I'm able to kind of hold that sort of empathetic stance to some degree, because I can understand that um, we are generally a consequence of our context and surrounding and the things that we sort of grow up um, being told and believing and being mm -hmm. fed. And, you know, there is to some degree, you know, these men aren't necessarily wholly responsible for the beliefs that they have. However, at the same time, I, I am also a strong advocate for people being held accountable and for people being brought to task and mm -hmm. Whilst I can, on the one hand, understand that these men in the manosphere are a consequence of their environment and their upbringing and the beliefs that they've been fed, etc. At the same time, the level of impact of what they do and the consequences of what they say and how they act and the information that they put out there has such far-reaching consequences that actually part of me sometimes do want to be like, yeah, they are such fucking dickheads <laughs> because actually you know the, the, yeah. the, the real frustration and the real anger that I feel about this sort of widespread misogynistic way of thinking I just think is so unhelpful harmful problematic you know has the capacity to groom and radicalize and I think it needs addressing yeah. so oh my god so do I <laughs> do you is that why yeah. we're here oh we've got so much in common Oh, that's so funny, isn't it? Um, so there is a part of me that actually wants to rage as much as you do. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, I think this is why you and I do so well in this podcast is because I think you can sometimes put <laughs> words to maybe my internal monologue. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. You can be like, to some extent, yes. <laughs> yeah. Also be like, yeah, they're fucking dickheads. Yeah. And actually, like, you know, so one of the reasons why I appreciate having conversations with you is because I think you can also hold the, the balance as well. You know, I think mm -hmm. there are times when you do rage and I think when you do rage, it's appropriate. And I think it's because, you know, the things that you rage about have an impact. And I think uh -huh. this is why I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but I think this is why it's important to have, you know, a man and a woman doing the podcast, because I think the things that you would rage about and the things that you would think about and the perspective that you have, I wouldn't necessarily have if I was doing this podcast by myself or with somebody mm -hmm. else. So it's really helpful to do that. I do try a little bit to hold many nuances, which, you know, people don't like on social media sometimes. No. What the last, this is my last question I'm going to ask you because we need to, um, you know, move on to me. I'm the most important. <laughs> of course, person. you are the most important. Absolutely. Yes. And the editor in chief. So, <laughs> but I wanted to ask you. So you grew up in South Africa in the 80s and mm -hmm. 90s, not famously like radical uh, society, white South African society mm -hmm. uh, in terms of any equality. Mm -hmm. And obviously now you are quite uh, enlightened in terms of gender politics and racial politics. Was that a slow burn revelation or was there like a, a professor or a book or a, you know, a person in your life who was like, hey, mm -hmm. dude. Uh... So, yeah. So I think it was a, a combination of things, really. I think. Mm -hmm. The two things, really, if we're speaking about sort of gender equality and gender politics and particularly men's behavior towards women and men's violence towards women, which is uh -huh. sort of like the, 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 the area that I have a, a greater vested interest in. The initial sort of starting point for that, I guess, would be when I worked 
in a women's prison. Mm-hmm. So worked with women um, who had committed offenses, committed crimes, um, and were in prison and sort of working with them and trying to understand the history of their life. And just across the board, the one sort of really common factor within their life in relation to their trauma specifically or the really shitty hardships of their life was awful experiences at the hands of men. And that Mm -hmm. could have been family members like brothers, fathers, grandfathers, uh, partners, awful strangers, you know, you know, and that would relate to all manner of violence. Not to put too much of a downer, but I've been exposed to quite significant trauma histories that yeah, these women have experienced. I, I bet, yeah. And I guess I just once sat there and I just had a, a moment's realization where I'd spoken about this with different supervisors where they kind of talked about the idea of me as a man being this potential embodiment for these women about all the trauma that they've experienced. And mm. I kind of guess I got that in a bit of a sort of academic slash cognitive sense, but it was it wasn't until my work within the prison where it kind of really struck home where yeah you know every sort of instance where i maybe sat with these women in a in an office or a group room i was potentially sort of like quite a strong visceral reminder of all the shit that they'd experienced with men mm-hmm. and it just kind of just sort of dawned on me that even if it's not me has perpetuated the hardship against these women i am not responsible necessarily or I don't necessarily bear that burden, but I have some impact on that. You know, my gender, I have some kind of part to play in it. And I guess that was kind of one of the first sort of dawning moments. And that was kind of like a bit more of a forensic context and a bit more of an extreme context. Mm -hmm. The second one was reading Everyday Sexism by Laura Bates. Right, yeah. This is just a the Laura Bates fan club. It this is, podcast. Yeah, it's Laura, yeah, no. <laughs> I listened to it on audiobooks and it was read by Laura mm-hmm. um, herself. And I just remember getting so angry the more I went through that book and the more that she talked about it and the different types of things that everyday women experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd I'd had this idea of the real extreme side of things that I'd been exper- that I'd been exposed yeah. to and it kind of held one context. But then reading everyday sexism, I was just like fucking hell. And that was also one of the more light bulb moments that I had where it dawned on me that actually I perpetuated some of the everyday sexist behaviors. It was a book that really made me think about a lot of the things that I used to do and engage in, in this kind of culture of lad type behavior, which Mm -hmm. I had thought was the way in which you relate to women and the way in which you, as a man, try and connect with women and all that kind of stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, those two moments for me, I was just like, you know, shit's got to change. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. Yeah, that's really um, cool. So I think when, it was probably 2018, 2019, somewhere there mm-hmm. around. So, yeah. Oh, you know, you've had this feminist awakening. Mm-hmm. And I your have wife's indeed. like, finally, he does the dishes. <laughs> All right, time well, to swap. time to swap. And now on to the more important member of mm. the team. Yeah, so I'm a headliner. I have a I have an inkling about what how you got started on Instagram. And I obviously mm-hmm. know that you're um, you have a partner now. Uh, you're Mm -hmm. in a relationship. I guess I've always been curious about how you actually got started doing the translation. So when my page started, it was just Tinder profiles. And then the second slide was my translation of them. Because there's so much like double speak kind of innuendo uh, stuff on Tinder. 
so yeah so i was married i got i got together with my my now ex-husband in uni so we i think he was 21 and i was 22 mm. uh, and we got divorced in the in 2016 the year the year that brexit happened and trump got elected it was like a really bad year guys and i'd been quite like oh my god dating apps the worst thing ever uh, and then immediately went on them for validation. So what what was interesting for me is I've always been a feminist. I grew up in a very left-wing household with left-wing people around me. And like, so it, I don't have like a feminist revelation. But what was interesting for me was having been, for want of a better word, picked at a young age yeah. and had, mm -hmm. you know, got the, got the husband and got the kid mm -hmm. before sorry, I was 30. Sorry. Even as a feminist... You yeah. still got picked, but that's yeah, but that's picked. not but that's not how it works. Feminist yeah. women don't get picked by men. That's mm. not. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? But I was quite young, so oh, and I had long right, hair okay. and I was thin. Okay. So, okay. So yeah. your your SMV was higher then, was it? Oh, a lot. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, although to be fair, my body count by then had probably already made me. Um, oh, so I yeah. Ran through right, hoe. Okay, brought it down. Right. Okay. Got you. I think I want a t-shirt that says ran through ho. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, so I was, I was picked at a young age, <laughs> but when I got divorced, when I got separated, I realized how much of my self-esteem was based on like having been affirmed as a, like a man had picked me. And I realized that in terms of how I'd want to go on dating apps and, and I want men to think that I was pretty unattractive mm. and stuff. And it was like, mm -hmm. Oh my God, this is so bad. Even though like I'd done loads of work on myself, it was still like, really ingrained mm -hmm. in me and i found that really interesting not interesting enough to like stop and just like get therapy <laughs> it was just like a curious thing that you noticed about yourself and went huh that's yeah. good right swipe, anyway swipe yeah. swipe yeah. <laughs> um and obviously i was when you're going through a big breakup um especially one that isn't something that you necessarily like would have wanted or initiated it is like you're vulner you're vulnerable yeah and anyway, so but I was on often on the apps for about three and a half years, um, all told. And I'm really interested in language. I am always interested. I always notice things about language and how people use language. And so being on dating apps, I started to learn the kind of patterns, the things that people would say, but also was just confronted with just the most like the biggest amount of objectification and misogyny. I was I was not ready. How like disrespectful how objectifying men on dating apps were going to mm -hmm. be not just the ones who've got horrible profiles but also people who when you start talking to them and they immediately like sexualize the trap do you think that's worse on dating apps than it is in real yes. life yeah so i think that the reason i ended up writing a book about modern misogyny and tinder is because i mm -hmm. think that it's a really good place a jumping off point to talk about lots of other in the actual real world misogyny so i don't think that dating apps make men more misogynistic but i think that they reveal mm -hmm. the levels of, of how dehumanized mm -hmm their view of women the men who are misogynistic mm -hmm. um are yeah. because we all know you know people are ruder to each other online and more can mm -hmm. be more extreme versions of themselves online you know people are more comfortable mm -hmm. being racist and sexist and anything elseist you know so there's that anyway like on twitter but because dating apps the only person especially once you've got to the talking to each other in messages stage the only person who ever mm -hmm. sees that is the woman you're talking to and so there's no social pressure to be respectful you know nobody mm -hmm. will see it whereas if you're in public and also i do think there's a there's a thing of being face to face that kind of makes people mm -hmm. behave in a different way 
but you've got those two yeah. two things going on at the same time it's easier to objectify someone who's not there in person and there's no social ramifications so people people kind of reveal themselves i think and you know once you know about the manosphere you can see manosphere tropes like negging from pickup artists or incel kind of ideology in people's bios which is wild like why are you on in on tinder <laughs> Yeah. or like men going their own way i find that hilarious that some i i recently shared a bio that had a MGTOW in it on tinder i was like why are you on tinder babes if you're going your own way <laughs> uh pick a lane yeah. at my book launch actually emma my, my friend emma did like hosted a kind of q a f with me and she asked me if how my feminism informed my approach to tinder and i was like actually tinder informed my approach to feminism i think it kind of radicalized me a bit okay. more because I was just like, wow, yeah. there's just so many sexist men. And then I had this idea one day. I followed quite a few like dating Instagram accounts. I was on Instagram just like as a mm -hmm. normal human. And most of them, they just post the bad bios and it's just like lul. And I was thinking because of all this kind of double speak, like um, I've got a dark sense of humor, which usually means like I'm a racist or a sexist or both. I was thinking like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if someone translated them? And then I was like, I bet someone's done that already. And then I searched it and it wasn't. And I was like, oh my God, did I have an original idea in like 2019? What? <laughs> so then I just started it as like a kind of fun side thing. And then mm -hmm. well, during the lockdowns, I guess I started to come on camera more and talk and talk about things more mm -hmm. widely, talk about sexism, misogyny and mm -hmm. relationships and kind of gender dynamics. And now I just talk about whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. So that was kind of how I got into it. Um, and then the rest is history. So you asked me earlier, kind of like, what was my sort of feminist awakening? And your page and La 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 Let Me Explain's page, in terms of the world of dating and the things that women are exposed mm -hmm. to in online dating, was also added to my kind of like jesus christ what the fuck this is what women have to deal with and then and then in some ways it's good you know whatever i i, mean, I met my partner on bumble in the end so you know just a lot of frogs yeah. <laughs> i mean it, yeah it, it, it is it is it is what it is isn't it it's it's part of the modern sort of world mm -hmm. of dating it's just um i think because i'd never been on it and because i'd never used it and that's not mm -hmm. how me and my partner met we met in a nightclub did you uh, old school. We we weren't even necessarily interested in each other. Um, our two friends were the ones who started sort of getting off with each other, and we were just sort of on the periphery, being like, <laughs> "Hey, what's up?" <laughs> so yeah, so I so I think your page and la la la, let me explain's page was uh, another really eye opening experience. The world of dating or the mm -hmm. experiences that women might have in trying to find a partner, and yeah. It was um, mind blowing. I still am, you know, my mind is still blown. Don't worry, it's my mind sometimes. I think I can't be shocked by profiles every now and, and then every now and again, someone sends me one and I'm like, oh my good God. I think there is some trolling that goes on on dating apps as well. I think there's some people mm. who are just on there just to make people angry and yeah. And it works. So congratulations. So the other question that I have, you approached me to do this podcast. So you kind of text me, sent me a message one day saying, I've yeah. got this idea for a podcast. Would you be keen on doing it? And I guess I'd be interested to know how and why 
this podcast developed and kind of what your sort of motivation was for wanting to to do this podcast uh yeah I, alien asked me to do it no <laughs> But yeah, yeah I, was head, I, was, I was headhunted. I was headhunted. But then I could just be like, yeah, so I'm the creative genius behind this podcast. <laughs> Lol. So I, I'd been thinking about it for ages. There are some podcasts I really like that have a, a similar sort of f- format in terms of dynamic. Um, there's a podcast called You're Wrong About, which is, is a kind of debunking podcast. There's a podcast called Maintenance Phase, which is all about like diet industry and fat phobia and stuff like that. It, basically anything that Michael Hobbs is in, if people, if you know, you know, Michael Hobbs is like the best. But basically I, I'd wanted to do a podcast for ages. People were always like, you should do a podcast. Everyone. Oh, everyone's probably <laughs> saying that to me. But I have had that quite a few times. And I I mean, one of the reasons I asked you is because I didn't want to do a podcast about the manosphere on my own as a woman. But also because it would make me do it if I was doing it with someone else. And I <laughs> like your page and, you know, seem, you seem all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And I, but yeah, so basically I'd, Laura Bates fan club, I'd, I used to make jokes about incel. I used to use incel as a punchline. And then I read Men Who Hate Women by Laura Bates, which actually was recommended to me by Lala, let, let me explain. She was like, you need to read this book. And I realized it wasn't fucking funny. Although sometimes, you know, we make fun of it. It's absolutely terrifying. And it made me realize how many women are probably subject to violence from misogynist extremists that we don't even know about because it's not measurable because it's interpersonal violence, not terrorism or sometimes it is, but you know. So yeah, it was a pretty wild intro to the manosphere and And then I started noticing more and more in people's, you know, bios when they were sending it in. And I started sort of looking at Jordan Peterson and people like that. And once you know what the tropes are and what the ideology of the manosphere is, you start to notice how much it's flowing into the mainstream. Mm. And lots of people are sharing things from like Scott Galloway or, um, you know, Stephen Bartlett Bartlett. or Chris Williamson that are saying stuff that, you know, they aren't necessarily, I wouldn't call it any of them, even Chris Williamson really, like like sexist men, but they're saying stuff that is literally straight out of the manosphere. And so I was like, this needs addressing. And that's why often we we talk about it in in a kind of more like mainstream way rather than talking about, you know, like the blog post from an incel or something, because that's the worrying thing is, you know, Mm. it's spilling out. So I wanted to go through that. And also, you know, just being on my page, being a feminist exists online, you just get men going all the time saying like, it's just a fact that, and then saying something that's not a fucking fact, like... (laughs) You know, there's just a fact yeah. that like women get all of the money in divorces or it's just a fact that like fathers are discriminated against. And it's like, it's not a fucking fact, mate. You have a different opinion from mm-hmm. me. It's not a fucking fact. And so I kind of wanted to do a bit more of a deep dive. I like to do debunkings on my page, but obviously they're like reels or videos are really short. So yeah, I wanted to do that. And then I wanted to co-host and I thought, well, I might as well ask Dan. He seems all right. Yeah. And I had I had nothing else to do with my yeah, time he's as not well. Busy. So. I did. I think I did say like, no pressure if you don't want to do it because I know you're busy. <laughs> and I know you've got a job and a family. I actually, fun fact, when we had a week off, I thought, I wonder if we could reshare the podcast that I was a guest on, on your podcast mm-hmm. ages ago. Mm-hmm. And I started listening to it and oh my God, my sound quality is so bad. But one of the first things you say is that you're like a bit starstruck. And I'm yeah. like, lol. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, I, I was, and you know, I, I still am to a degree. You know, I I'm very grateful for, for the opportunity to kind of be on this podcast with you. Oh. Hi, folks. Aileen here. 
We're going to leave it on that slightly abrupt but very heartwarming note because this is the last episode before Christmas. There is a second half of this episode which will be coming out between Christmas and New Year where we answer some listener questions. And with that, just want to say thank you so much for listening this year. We're excited for 2024 and um, have a great Christmas if you celebrate and a great couple of bank holidays if you don't. If you enjoy this show, please do subscribe, leave a review, follow us at Manosphere Debunked Pod on Instagram uh, and generally, you know, tell everyone about how wonderful we are. You guys are wonderful too. It's a wonderful life. Merry Christmas, happy holidays and yeah, see you in 2024. God, my earphones are falling off my head. Right. After that technical okay. difficulty. Whoa. <laughs> I've only got sound in one of my headphones, and it, that has been the case for every recording <laughs> we've ever done. Um, maybe I'll treat myself this Christmas to a pair of yeah. a new pair of headphones.